Tall, my heavy hitters, the Lockdown Defenders. Welcome to the Lockdown Divas Podcast, episode 84. We are back in the building, man, each and every Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on all your popular platforms you get your podcasts from. I am your host, Coach Defense. We are back in the building, man, each and every Tuesday, man. We're having a great week. Uh, no shortage of content out here this week, man. NBA playoffs are moving hot and heavy. We are now in the second round. We're going to talk about that. We're going to break down the first round and our takeaways from each team, winners and losers, and what's next for the losers. We're going to get into that. Also, we're going to talk about the NFL, man. The NFL draft was uh, definitely an epic uh, weekend. Uh, definitely something that's been happening uh, big time for these young kids out here. You know, news, new things going on for them. New millionaires on the horizon, man. People that are fulfilling their dreams of being NFL stars are now coming to fruition, man. So we're going to talk about our takeaways from the draft and what things have uh, shaken out from that. Also talking about some free agency news since the draft is shaken out and uh, the players have been drafted and, uh, and undrafted players have been picked up. We want to see the, what the free agency market looks like and what the top 10 free agents are and who we think they, um, where do you think they will land um, in that regard? So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, Chargers Corner. We're going to get into that as well. We're going to get into the news and views of uh, the Chargers this week. We're going to talk about their draft picks and uh, our breakdown our draft grades of each uh, particular draft pick, some undrafted news, and uh, we're going to get into our team needs uh, post-draft. So we'll talk about that. And as always, we'll wrap it up with our four-quarter closeout and give out our awards for Breakout Player of the Week, Lockdown Defender Week, and Big Dummy of the Week. So stay tuned for that. So let's get into who's in the news, man. Let's do it. And here we go. So let's talk who's in the news. The NBA playoffs are hot and heavy. We're in the round two. The semifinals of the conference in East to West and the Eastern Conference is going on right now. Um, uh, <laughs> we're going to get to that. Um, but I want to start with the, the first round. Uh, the first round is wrapped up in uh, is some things that I want to uh, underscore um, that I have uh, truly given my uh, full, uh, as you can say, synopsis on um each team uh winners and losers and uh what they have going for them and what they have to fix um so we're gonna call this segment uh winners and losers and who's and what's next so uh starting with the east we're gonna get into uh the heat now the heat are the number one seed now although they're uh, a bit banged up right now jimmy's got a knee uh, Kyle Lowry has got a hamstring and things of that nature. Um, I'm I'm still unsure about about the Heat. I really am. I don't know what to make of this team. I really feel like it's a bunch of good guys. Not a, you know, they just don't have that superstar that typically uh, is required uh, for most NBA teams to honestly and truly uh, be a legit threat to be a championship team. You know, um, but it, to me, it just remains to be seen. I mean, they're looking at. Um, you know, I, it's one of those things where I kind of want to believe in them because they've played really well as a team. I think they're well coached, uh, but it's, you know, it's, I just don't, I just, it's hard to grab, you know, wrap my arms around the idea they don't have a superstar. Now, Jimmy Butler's good. He's not great. I wouldn't consider him an alpha. I wouldn't consider him a, a legit number one, you know, like a Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, you know, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum. I just can't put him in, in that, in KD. I couldn't put, I can't put him in that category. So, you know, what are they? You know, are they really a, a legit contender or are they just good by committee? You know, just it's really it's really hard to decipher. I mean, they're really the only team I really have a true uh, I'm having an identity crisis about. You know, and it's to me, they're truly a question mark. I, I just don't know what to make of them. Um, but the, but the ironic thing about the whole situation is that they likely are going to uh, get 
uh, two games, you know, that they should be highly winnable because Joel Embiid's going to be out in, in, in this coming up series. So they, you know, they vanquished the, the Hawks, but, you know, the Hawks got way more issues than, you know, than uh, other teams do. So, you know, it wasn't uh wasn't evenly matched. You know, they're, 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 them being good by committee was enough to beat the Hawks, you know, and even without Jimmy, uh, Jimmy and Kyle Lowry didn't play the last game and they still beat them. So that tells you a lot about what this, what that, what the Hawks team did or didn't do or how they didn't match up against the, uh, the Heat, you know, in, 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 in multiple games to put it like, to put it plain. So, you know, they're being banged up, you know, it's just, it's not, it shouldn't play too heavily into it. Like Jimmy's going to try to play through it and Kyle, hopefully he'll be back soon. But overall, man, I'm just, I got a lot of questions. Like, it's a big question mark for this team. I just don't know what to make of them. I really don't. But, you know, will they be battle tested at this point? Will they be, uh, you know, really pushed to the limit by a 76 team that's missing Joel Embiid? And if Joel Embiid does come back, he's wearing a protective eye covering and I got a banged up hand. So how truly effective is he going to be even if he does come back? So they could walk into a situation where they may play the Celtics or the Bucks without being tested. Now, you know, what I'm nervous for the Heat for is what I'm nervous about the Heat is, you know, what I'm ner- I'm nervous for them. Let me put it that way. I'm nervous for them in this regard. It's because if they get to the conference final game and hadn't really faced any real adversity, they're going to get exposed. I feel like the Bucks or the Celtics would expose them heavily as being the teams that I'm desc- I'm underscoring, I'm describing as being good by committee and it's just not being a truly dominant championship caliber team. You know, they and again, they've been the one seed this whole, and they've been the one seed for a good part of the second half of the season. So, I mean, do we give them credit for that or we just think they're just a, 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 a benefactor of a bad situation? So, I don't know, but we'll see. Now the Hawks, the Hawks, man, is is rough sledding. They're too Trey Young dependent. They really are. They need a legit veteran number two. Um, they gotta get more athletic on the wing. Uh Bogdanovich is a good shooter, but he's not athletic enough for me. Um, they need true three and D wing athletic players. Um, and I think they gotta keep John Collins and Clint Capella healthy because I think that ultimately derailed their chances to be competitive in the series with them being banged up. I mean, they did they both try to give it a go at certain points, but you know, with the injuries that they had. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where it just wasn't in the cards. It really wasn't. And in the face of a, a thirsty and hungry Heat team, it just it just wasn't in the cards, man. So I think that's something they got to do and they got to address in the offseason. I'll be interested to see how they do it. All right, so let's talk about the 76ers. Now, so this is a solid team, but with Embiid hurt bad, I, I, and I don't, I don't see that getting much better. I really don't. I really don't see his injuries getting much better. Um, I really feel like that he's going to try to give it his best effort, but uh, I don't think he's going to be uh, the MVP benefactor, or uh, excuse me, the MVP caliber player. Um, you know, I don't think the team's going to you know be a benefactor of his MVP play. That's what I'm trying to get at. You know, that he's going to ultimately truly be uh, the guy they need him to be in order for them to advance in the series. You know, so that's what's troublesome to me. On top of the fact that James Harden is way too inconsistent for me in the playoffs holistically and in this year it's in its an entirety, I, I don't know what James Harden is or is is or isn't at any given moment. I really don't. I can't. I just can't wrap my arms around the idea that he's going to be able to carry this team without um, B being there. And if they go down 2-0, you know, and it would Harden, you know, being out there, but then B trying to work his way back, I, ugh, this could end in a sweep. I, I'm, I'm really concerned that it might end in a sweep. And be just so just just out of, out of sheer bad luck, 
It really could this week. So uh we'll see. I mean, every game is different. I mean, he could come out and be cold a, a game or two. We don't we don't know. But I mean, outside of one game, I haven't seen James Harden be anywhere close to the dominant offensive player that he's been in years past. So uh, I'm really concerned that the 76ers will, will likely be vanquished by the Heat just just for the simple fact that they just drew uh, a bad best bad uh, luck stick. They really do. So we'll see. I mean, but again, you know, you just can't you can't honestly truly ask Maxi and Thibault and all those guys to carry this team with Embiid being out. So I just don't think it's going to be in the cards. I really don't. Um, what this team could or could not have been would have been. Uh, predicated upon what James Harden did in combination with Embiid, but I don't think we're ever going to really see that. Banged up Embiid, inconsistent Harden, I think that he's either he, going to make short work of him. I really do. All right, so let's move over to the Raptors. Um, I really feel like they overachieved in this season. I really think nobody wrote them in as being uh, any any type of formidable foe. Um, I do really think they're really well coached by Nick Nurse. Um, but the lack of having a true number one and two to carry this team, uh, I, I just think they have to figure that part out. I really think that that's going to be the only way this team gets better. Uh, I think that they honestly truly are really good defensively, um, but they just don't have the firepower on offense to keep up with the top team in this, in this league. I just don't think they have it. I think OG Obinawo and uh, and Bama and uh, excuse me C- and um, P- Pascal Siakam are good good players, but I think they are they need an alpha. They need an alpha in order to be able to compete in the East and they don't have it. They don't have it. So I think that's where they ultimately will lie. And I think they will either be a playing team or, or run around where they finish at each year. If the team, if the roster stays the same. So hopefully the, the front office makes some moves and try to bring in some players that will ultimately help them um, going forward. But yeah, it, it's, it's rough. It's rough talking about it because again, I think they're really well coached, but they just don't have the firepower. So the Celtics, let's talk about them. Um, I think they have the formula to go far. I really do. The defense is stifling, and assuming Tatum and Brown and Smart can drive this train, I think this team has a championship DNA. I really do. Um, they're very physical. They're very uh, a matter of fact. They're in your face. Um, you know, they're gonna you know make you uh, play a certain brand of basketball. And if you're not ready for that, or you're not signed up for that, then they're gonna beat you. They really are. Now. The ironic thing about this situation is that they're facing a team that 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 is won a championship with that same pedigree. So, uh, and if you saw Game One, you saw what happened. So, I mean, I'm going to get into that in a little bit later, but you know, it, it's it's going to be a dogfight for sure. I mean, we talking, you know, in the wild jungle, just two dogs going at it, nobody to stop them, and then the best let the best man win. That's really what it's going to boil down to. It really is. So we're going to see. But I, I'm, I I think they got the tools. And I think they're very well coached by Ime Adoku as well. Um, but it's just a question of, uh, you know, can they out-physical the physical? It's one of those things where I'm a bully on the block, but I'm new. You know, so I have to go step to the, the bully that's been on the block for a minute. And can I go in and knock him out? Because if I can't, then I got to go back home and lick my wounds because – it ain't what it ain't what it, it ain't what it is. it ain't what it I thought it was gonna be, so that's that's what's going that's what the Celtics are faced with. So let's talk about the Nets who they who the Celtics vanquished in four games. Um, I talked about this in my podcast last week, um, episode eighty three. So if you haven't listened to that already, check it out. 
Um, but let's give a brief overview about what I talked about is, is simply this. The Nets are a flawed roster with no chemistry. They're too top heavy and they're 50% relying on a player that is mentally and physically inconsistent as well as lacking true leadership skills. And then there's Ben Simmons. <laughs> I guess you might've thought I was talking about Ben Simmons at first, but no, and then there's Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, who to me doesn't love basketball. He just loves the fame. But he, but in, in the same regard, he doesn't want the pressure or the criticism that comes along with being uh, a $30 million basketball player. But I'm sorry, no matter what you do, if you make millions, even if you make thousands of dollars, you're going to be subject to that. So this is a part of life, man. You got to get over it. I'm sorry. And if you don't, I just, you need to go find somewhere and go live on the rock because you truly don't want to be a functioning person in society. If you think that all that, uh, money and fame is going to come without a price, you know, it's the whole saying goes, you got to pay the cost to be the boss. And if you don't ever want to pay the cost, then you clearly don't want to be a, a, a NBA basketball player for long. Because I guarantee you this, if something don't drastically change with Ben Simmons in the next couple of years, when his contract is up, he won't get another one. There's nobody, in the, and I mean nobody's going to want to deal with that headache and his his inconsistency and his lack of uh, accountability when it comes down to being uh, a, a perennial player in this league. So nobody's going to sign up for that. Especially now at a high price. So he'll likely ride into such a with his one contract and never play basketball again. At least not in the NBA. So overall, man, I think this team is, like I said, extremely flawed and I think they need to shake it up. Um, if I was the Nets, I would trade Kyrie and build around KD and um, figure out a way to figure out, figure out the Ben Simmons enigma and, and make it work until this contract is up. But that's a little bit stuck right now. Um, and I'm sure it's not going to be easy sell to, to sell KD on the idea that Kyrie got to go. So we'll see how things go there. So let's talk about the Bucks. The Bucks, man, um, is, is truly one word, Giannis. That's it. You know, because when he lost his Robin, he took it to another level. And I'm sorry, folks, that's a level that, that might be too much for any team to handle. Um, what I'm seeing out of him, in his last three games, three to four game stretch since he lost Middleton is, is, I mean, it's a new level. And I didn't think, you know, I thought that we, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say he reached his peak, but I just didn't think we see even more dominance than the already dominant player that he was. And he had another gear <laughs> and, and it's, it's definitely something that teams should be concerned about. You know, I mean, when you out physical, the physical of the Celtics, that's saying a whole lot. You know, so so unless he gets burnt out or and he doesn't get Middleton back in any stretch, it's gonna be they're gonna be a tough out. They really are. They are, and they are all about that 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 that, that uh Larry O'Brien trophy. They really are. That's all it's about. Drew 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 Holiday's playing solid. He's been consistent. Uh, Catalyst is offensive person, and you know that's just aiding in the betting the idea of them being dominant because who we. The way they push the Celtics around in game one, man, I'm a little bit worried about for my boys. I really am. Real little bit worried for my boys. But, um, yeah, they're just on a different level, especially Giannis. Giannis on a different level, man. And I didn't think that, you know, he had another gear to go to, but he does. You know, he was just, I mean, let's be around. He's just, he's, he's down. He's one of the most dominant players we've ever seen. But he's taking it to even higher heights, which is scary. It really is scary. So I watch out for the Bucks if I was anybody. So let's talk about the Bulls, man, who they vanquished in in uh, short order, I believe, five games um, in uh, in the first round series. Um, I truly, I think they had a good season. I I think with the revamp roster that they had, um, 
I think the unfortunate incident with their situation was they lost Lonzo Ball, and I think that he truly was the glue that held this team together. I mean, because the moment they lost him, it was a downward spiral. Um, they could they had they couldn't they had inability to be good teams in any stretch. They had a very deep dark losing record to against winning teams, which is which is telling. Um, which told you they were likely weren't gonna go find the playoffs in its own right because they're gonna do them and face good teams. But overall, I think they they truly truly had a good team, and they I think they should run it back. Um, they could add another role player to it here and get healthy, um, build more chemistry, and then um and they and finally figure out a way. Um, through experience to be good teams, and I think they'll be right in the thick of it next year. So I, I think there's guys. I think the, you know things are looking up for the Bulls. All right, so let's move over to the West. Let's talk about the Suns. Uh, simple, simply put, they're back on track. They're back. They're healthy and barring an injury to Booker or CP3, knock on wood. Don't want to see it happen at all. You know those are my, those are my dogs. Um, this team is 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 deep roster wise. They're confident in their role players, and they definitely making it. They definitely have the abilities to make it the finals if everything falls right. You know, they were the favorite going in, and they're right back. I mean, there was some scary moments with Booker being out, and um, you know, they were trying to find their way and you know, kind of make their way, you know, make a way around Booker not being there. But now he's back, he's healthy, and he's dominating. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. It's gonna be tough for anybody in seven games to to vanquish these guys they're going to be extremely big time tough out they are so uh yeah that's that's just it's just it man i mean it ain't a whole lot to it it really isn't it's not a whole lot to it so that that's that's the that's the brass tax of what's going on with them it really is so we'll see how things go from here on out but they are up 1-0 on the Mavericks, and they they led that whole game and they got out to like an 18-6 run and they never looked back so uh yeah, Mavis gonna have their hands full this this series. They ain't, gonna, they ain't the Jazz. <laughs> they ain't the Jazz. So, yeah. So we'll see how go, how it goes in in the Suns uh, space. You know, everything breaks right though. They'll be right there in the finals. All right. So the Pelicans, um, you know who they lost to? Who uh, the Pelicans lost to the uh, Suns in six games? Um, hats off to them, man. I think they they were a seriously overachieving team. Uh, that CJ McCollum trade was right on time. Um, and I think if they get Zion back in the fold and make, they they can really truly be an outright playoff contending team next year. Um, you know, with no playing game. Um, but uh, I really feel like they uh, really outkick their coverage in a sense. You know, where they really nobody everybody left them for dead. Nobody expected anything from them when he lost Zion, and they made it all the way out of the playing tournament with an unsubvined record into the playoffs itself. Played the number one team took took games off of them. So you got to give your hats off to Willie Green and that coaching staff, man. They did an impeccable job. They really did. Um, and they, like I said, Brandon Ingram arrived. CJ McCullough is showing that he's still uh, a dominant talent. So the Zion's is freaking and, and you know, mix and match a few pieces around this roster. I think they can be really formidable in the West next year. They just got to keep it together and stay healthy. Let's talk about the Mavericks. The Mavericks, um, they did what we all expected them to do at this point. Um, you know, they're, they were – you know, a, I guess you can say a top four to five seed team in the West all year. Um, you know, they truly did what they were supposed to do in, in getting rid of the Jazz in, in short order. Um, you know, Luca was out a few games, but um, the maturation of Jalen Brunson and Finney Smith um, was ultimately a, a breath of fresh air to kind of carry things while Luca was out. And when Luca came back, he never missed a beat. Uh, I, I would argue he dominated even further than he did before he got hurt. So that's a good sign. Um, they do need to get Hardway Jr. back. They do. 
um and they have to find a way to add uh, at some point in the near future a legit number two um because i think the ceiling is them going no further than the second round of the playoffs with this current roster i really do i love Finney Smith, Jalen Brunson's matriculation. I think Hardaway Jr. can add a, a, a dynamic to the team as well. Along with having Spencer Dinwiddie in the fold, I think that those guards will definitely add to the team and be big-time contributors, but they need a number two. Luka cannot carry the weight of the te- this team um, in its entirety through the extent of the playoffs, however far they go. And I think, again, I think to me the ceiling is that they get out of the second round of playoffs at best. And there will be a perennial mid-old mid tier team playoff team four five three four five seed at best so they got to find a legit number two so mark Cuban, if you're listening you need a number two jazz the jazz man two spider mitchell dependent uh and they're less than athletic on the wing they needed that they got it that's, that's got to change i've been saying that for two years they got to get a more dynamic and more athletic on the wing until they do that they it's going to be wash rinse repeat of the same thing it really is Again, like you got to get better defensively and find a and find a legit number two, like the Ma- same problems the Maverick have. You got to find a legit number two um, if you want different results. You really do. Um, you need to take some pressure off Spider Mitchell. He needs somebody that can kind of he can kind of play off of and they can score well and get his own shot. Um, Rudy Cabrera is a concern for me, and I think he's a liability at times because he can't score and he's too tall to guard uh, pick and roll switch situations when they people go small ball. Um, so I really feel like that they got to figure out that out. Um, what are you going to do with him? Um, he's a really good defender. I mean, he's an elite defender, but the idea of just being an elite defender, that's all you are. Ask Ben Simmons. It's just getting more and more to be not enough. So they got to figure that situation out as well. I'm not saying you should get rid of him, but, um, if you could trade him for somebody that can help your team out and be a two-way player, then you might need to consider it. So we'll see how that goes, but that's all the Warriors. The Warriors, um, tell you right now, man, this team looks like the team that broke through in the league in the mid-2010s, like around 2014, 2015, um, you know, when they, when they won their first championship. This team looks eerie similar to that, um, just with a different few different pieces. Draymond Clay and, all, and, and Steph are obviously still there. But Jordan Poole, <laughs> who looks like a Steph slash Clay clone, is or has arrived. And he's been leading the team in scoring, ironically, through most of these uh wins they've they've racked up in the last uh week or so um so uh yeah <laughs> and what's even more uh i guess you can say uh surprising when you call it surprising which is more i guess there's a breath of fresh air for this for the warriors that they're getting back to being that defensive high deficient defensively efficient team that they were at the beginning of the season uh, because you know people were raving about their offense, but they were just just as much raving about their defense, and they're starting to get it back to being that dominant defensive team as well. I mean, hell, they worked. I worked the Grizzlies on the on the boards with no Draymond Green, you know, and I think the Grizzlies are like one of the best rebounding teams in the league, and they outworked them. So uh, yeah, I think this team, you know, the sky's the limit with this team as well. I think that the if I had to bet, I think the Warriors and the, and the Suns are in the collision course to meet in the finals, and that's going to be. A monstrous series. I mean, I, we we probably talking about seven close games. <laughs> we truly are talking seven close games, and they can go either way. I mean, it's a coin flip of who's going to win that series. It really is because they match up so well against each other. They really do. So, um, yeah, if I had to, if I had to be a betting man, I would say that that was going to be the the conference final games, and uh, it's going to be epic. 
I mean, all-time great series. Uh, for just for the right to go to the title game. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. So uh yeah, I mean again, because they got that unique blend. They got a unique blend of, of of savvy veterans and young guys that are talented. And that's a recipe to win championships. It really is. So we'll see. We'll see what the Warriors do, man. Um, but I'm excited for them as well. Now the Grizzlies. Actually, let's talk about the Nuggets before we talk about the Grizzlies. Uh, Nuggets simply they're just too they were just too banged up for the entire season. Um, what Jokic did despite all of that was incredible. Um, but to me, they just need to run it back one more time, all the way healthy, and see if it works. Um, because when they're healthy and fully healthy, they have a legit number one and number two. That's something that a lot of teams don't have. I mean, the Jazz and the in the Mavericks are looking for that right now. They're looking for a dominant one and two, and and the and the, and the Nuggets have it. They just can't stay healthy. So if they can somehow or another keep that core together and keep and be healthy throughout a season, I think we're talking big time uh, production out of this roster. But they just got to get there. And if it, you know, if they can stay healthy through a whole season and through a whole playoffs, I mean, we could talk. We could talk about a legit threat in the West. But but they got to get there first. And hopefully they don't, you know, because all seasons always, you know, has surprises in it. So if they break it up for some some reason, then we'll never see it. But I really think if I was the Nuggets brass, I would try to make this team, you know, play together one good time. See if I can make it work one good time. And if it if it doesn't, then oh well, we'll break it up. But if it does, then you got something going and you can really build on the momentum of that going forward. So now we'll talk about the Grizzlies. And um, you know, I love them ultimately as a team basketball unit. I really ultimately they're all they're the ultimate team basketball unit they really are um who ironically you know they know who their number one guy is they do John Moran's their number one guy but they don't necessarily need John to be dominant every night to be to be to be to be teams and we've seen it uh I think Desmond Bain has emerged as a deadly score uh he could be Jaws and Robin um but this team you know although they're well coached by Taylor Jenkins they're young and they're flawed at times um and that's due to inexperience in all honesty it's due to inexperience you know they they showed their uh, inexperience and their the chinks in their armor against the T Wolves. They did. Um, in all in all honesty, I think that there's some flaws that in this team they just they have issues with holding leads and closing out games in certain stretches or making mistakes down the line that could cost you games. So I think that 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 particular flaw is going to ultimately truly come back to bite them at some point. And I think the Warriors are going to expose that holistically, you know, throughout the series. I think it's going to slowly and sh truly sh chip away at that flaw and ultimately vanquish the Grizzlies in, in uh, you know, maybe around five to six games. So we'll see how it checks out. I mean, because Grizzlies don't have home court, but the Warriors stole game one. So you got to look at it from that perspective as well. But I think the reality of this, they just need time and space to grow. But I think it's a really good young team. Um, I think they could benefit from a veteran coming in and leading them and giving them the experience they're lacking and kind of, you know, control the space and, and understand that when things kind of get, you know, uh, kind of get tight, they can, they can lean on that person to know exactly what to do and how to, how to attack things when it's come down to crunch time. But overall, I think that's what the war is going to end up exposing is their lack of experience. And that's going to ultimately be their demise. But We'll see. Hey, still got to play the games. Still got to play the games. But I do like what Memphis is building. So lastly, the T-Wolves, uh, much like the Grizzlies, they're young, flawed, and inexperienced. 
and they lacked the prowess more so than the Grizzlies are closing out games. That was ultimately the reason why they lost in the first round. Um, they just couldn't close out any games, and and the Memphis was just that much better at, at closing out games and getting back to the game and, and, and finishing off wins than the T Wolves were. Um, which ultimately cost them the series because they were up on them in f- at least three to four games um, by double digits. And sometimes they were about 20 or more in in separate instances in one game, and they still lost. So you just can't, that just can't happen. That just can't happen. Cat uh, needs to be better and be more dominant, especially when he's playing against guys that are smaller than him. Playing against smaller competition, especially, he's got to be better. He's got to be better. He's got to be more dominant, especially in, a, in, in around the basket. I'm not always opting to shoot threes and things of that nature. You're not a guard. Um, I think him and Anthony Davis, several that flank, same affliction, just think they can shoot like guards when they're big men. Get around a basket, shoot high percentage shots, and just dominate the space is what you should be doing, in all honesty. But the one bright spot about this situation in the T-Wolves is this, that Anthony Edwards is arriving. And I think there's his him and his team is going to be very interesting going forward. And I'm going to be very interested to see what they do in the offseason to kind of build on the momentum that they had with this playoff run. So we'll see how that goes. But overall, that's my brief synopsis on what the teams um, in the round one did and didn't do and what my overall take was for them. All right, so um, so let's talk about uh, the actual series in this entirety um the second round is, is is up and running um and we're definitely uh in we're one game in for everybody at this point so um let's talk about uh what the standings are up to the moment so um you know sorry for the radio audience but the graphic is up on youtube um so miami's up 1-0 against philly uh boston is down 1-0 to the bucks the warriors are up 1-0 against the grizzlies and the suns are up 1-0 on the mavericks so um, you know, so that's your updated stats and uh game two for the uh Celtics and Bucks and the Warriors and Memphis are tonight. So we're gonna get to see that in a short order. But um overall, man, if I had to do bold predictions, um I would say that um I'm very scared for the 76ers. I think this could be a four old or five or four one series based upon injuries and just bad luck. Um, that's, I think the Miami, he would likely get a slightly easy pass into the conference finals. Um, I'm a little concerned about the Boston Celtics at this point. I really am. Uh, I'm a little worried about them, uh, stepping up to the task of the physicality of Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks. Again, it's, it's the bully in the neighborhood and you're the new, you're the bully of your old neighborhood and you come into a new one thinking that you're going to take over and you got to face him in order to uh in order to get by and again like i always say like rick flair says to be the man you gotta beat the man so if you can manage to somehow out physical to physical then you got a shot in the series but if you can't then the bucks are likely going to advance so i would say bucks and six <laughs> i don't want to say that because you know i love it was my guy but Giannis on is on a new level he's on a new level those are my bold predictions for those two series. In the West, I think Phoenix 4-1, 4-1. I think Phoenix is 4-1 in this series, especially after I saw what I saw last night, uh, 4-1. I give, uh, yeah, I give Dallas maybe one game in, in Dallas. But, uh, yeah, I, I give Phoenix 4-1, maybe go six. It may go six, but I got, I'm got i thinking 4-1, five games. 
and the Warriors and Grizzlies, I'm gonna go six. I'm gonna go four to two. Grizzlies lose to the Warriors in six games. So I think they beat them four games to two. The Warriors beat the Grizzlies four games to two. So all right, so that's my bold predictions, man. We'll see how things shake out for that. Um is uh as as it goes. Um, and we'll keep monitoring the playoff bracket and things of that nature. But um we'll take a quick break and we'll get on to our NFL headlines. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. Lockdown Defense family, Coach Defense here, reminding you that the Lockdown Davis Podcast comes to you each and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also AHA Radio. And here lately, the YouTube page has been taken off, so if you subscribe to that, if you have not, turn your notification bells on so you never miss an upload to the channel. The Lockdown Divas Podcast comes to you each and every week, breaking down the news and views of yours truly, giving you heavy-hitting content, educated opinions on the NFL, NBA, Lakers, and Chargers news as well, my home's base squads. So if you're looking for a one-stop shop for edgy, real opinions and news of the popular world of sports, look no further than the Lockdown Davis Podcast. Also, if you're looking for me in between podcasts, follow me on any all, any and all of my social media platforms. Uh, Lockdown Defense Sports for Instagram and Twitch. On Twitter, it's Lockdown Defense. And as I actually had a bonus, if you want to get in and get some questions answered in our mailbag, send me a DM on any of those platforms, or you can email me at LockdownDefenseSports at gmail.com. Uh, get those questions in anytime between now and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time each and every week to be eligible to be on the show. The Lockdown Divas Podcast, once again, each and every uh, Tuesday, 10 a.m., on all platforms we get your podcast from. So please tune in, subscribe, and turn your notification bells on so you know exactly when we go live. Now back to the show. back with NFL headlines it's the lockdown Davis podcast I'm your host coach defense man oh man when I tell you that the NFL draft was a sight to see uh I don't care what people said they were down on the draft this year there was a you know one of the star started event because there weren't a whole lot of superstar quarterbacks going on in the draft going in the draft and being drafted this year that man I, I don't care what they say don't let them fool you don't let them lie to you it was a definitely epic event uh the Vegas did their thing NFL did their thing they definitely put on a show of epic proportions, and uh, it was definitely something to see, man. Only thing I regret is not being out there publicly to see it and witness it live. But uh, it was definitely a great performance, and we definitely got our money's worth with the event, the the the, the pageantry, and the 
all the drama <laughs> that happened in the draft. Um, but holistically, man, I definitely have to give them kudos, and I think you know I have to give NFL teams uh, kudos as well for the most part. There was a very intelligent draft. You know, they, people did what they had to do as far as moving around, making trades, and they were very smart and savvy when they picked for the most part. So we're gonna get into that. We're gonna talk about uh, you know that at, at, a, at, a, at a high level. Uh, but first and foremost, I wanted to talk about uh, NFL free agency because this is always going to be a hot button topic uh, after the fact because of uh, what's uh, typically happening uh, with the draft and then people aren't honestly and truly uh, getting everything they possibly need or think they need going into the season. So you know, there was some free agency, free agents sitting out there that were uh, kind of waiting in the wings to see what the teams drafted and they were whether or not they were going to be an air quarter fit uh, going into the season. Um, so the first shooter drop, there was one, probably the biggest name that was out there was the Honey Badger, and they didn't wait for that. Uh, the Saints didn't draft the safety. They didn't, couldn't, get, couldn't get their hands on the safety that they wanted to uh, get their hands on in the draft. Obviously, they had some uh, address some other areas and some needs, or the guy they really liked, it didn't fall to them. But um, they went out and paid Tyra Matthew, I want to say like three years, uh, $33 million, uh, make it a little, a little over $11 million a year, I think. Um, so he's going to be uh, back home in, uh, in Louisiana, uh, where he plays ball at in LSU. Uh, playing for the Saints, so um, definitely a need for them. Um, they lost Marcus Williams to the uh, Ravens, I want to say, in free agency, so they definitely had a, a, a hole to fill in that, in that secondary in the safety spot. So they get Tony Badger, man, and I'm I'm here to tell you that this uh, that Saints defense is back. <laughs> you know, I, and having a a defensive minded coach uh, in, in Dennis Allen uh, as well is just gonna make matters worse for most teams. You know, so. I'd be on the lookout, man. I really would, you know, because it's truly, it's truly something to behold to have uh, that, to piece back that defense together in the matter that they did. Um, we got to give them credit for uh, for doing that. It's definitely was something. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, I would call, I would call on the carpet to say that that um, the Saints would be a, a fantasy defense again. Um, you know, and I like the idea too that they kind of stirring up the storyline that uh, he's going to go against Tom Brady twice a year, and the Saints has been the one team and it has been a consistent bane of Tom Brady's existence when they play them. Um, not, we don't really know exactly what's going to shake out whenever in regards to the uh, offense, but defensively they're looking really formidable because um, they picked up Marcus May from the Jets, uh, got him in one safety, and they picked up Tyron Matthews, other spot, and they got C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who's a hybrid uh, corner, slot corner slash safety as well. So that's something that we got to keep our eyes on because this defense, man, up front, uh, the linebacking core is solid. You know, uh, probably if I, had, if I had to guess, that might be the slight weakness. I mean, you got, you know, Pete Warner is a name. Uh, DeMar Davis is definitely a name, and uh, Zach Bond is – a name, but I, I think Demario Davis is the is, is the guy. Um, but they will probably most likely play a lot of sub package anyway. You know, we'll probably have Warner and Davis on the field for the most part. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they definitely uh, are looking formidable on the defensive side. Cam Jordan and Mark Davenport come back. They got Shot Tuttle and and David Ayumada uh, up front there four three. So yeah, I think this defense is gonna be solid, man. I really do. And they didn't slouch on the defense on the offensive side either. Getting Chris Olave in the draft. Um, we're going to get, hopefully get Michael Thomas back. Marcus Calloway's coming off a solid year. James Winston is should be coming off his ACL. They rectified their O-line. They got Trevor Penning to fill that left tackle spot. And all the rest of them guys are returning. So it's a nice roster. I mean, I give the Saints brass credit. I definitely give them a lot of credit for uh, retooling the last couple of years, not rebuilding. They've been retooling. And I, and I give them credit for staying relevant despite all that. Uh, so, yeah. So we can definitely see what the uh, Saints can do uh, going forward. 
um, when it comes down to the season. But yeah, it's going to be a good good time. But the Honey Badger is definitely in Louisiana, back home to play against Tom Brady and the boys twice a year. So moving on to the, uh, the next topic, um, talking about free agency as a whole, um, let's give up my top 10 of free agencies that is left out here. Uh, and uh, and where I think they might go. Um, it's a couple of teams I kind of given up. You know, basically one team I think that's gonna they're likely gonna land at, and a few t- a few players may have several destinations. Um, but my top one is Robert Gronkowski. Gronk is uh is definitely the most highly toted uh free agent right now, and he hasn't committed air quote to uh playing yet. But I mean, I we all th- I believe we all know what it is. I mean. You know, I think he's going to come back and he's going to play with Tom Brady. I mean, he hasn't played with anybody else but Tom, uh, you know, in his in his career. So I think that he'll play. He'll come back. He'll stay in shape. He'll come back, you know, when he's ready um, and decide that he's going to play with uh, the Bucks again. So they'll be their tight end um, along with uh, Cameron Brake. And I think they'll just make that hold. But um, I'm, I'm likely, you know, especially with, you know, it was rumors that Gronk may go to the Bills. But, you know, they picked up O.J. Howard and a few others and got Dawson Knox in the house already. So I don't think they need Gronk necessarily. Uh, so I would say that, you know, the likely destination is the Bucks. If you're going to play again, it'll be with them. So I'm going to give him to them. Uh, my next guy, uh, two, number two on my list is J- Javian Clowney, uh, DN uh, slash outside linebacker, um, formerly of the Texans and and the Browns. Um, I think that he's kind of waiting in the wings as well, um, you know, trying to see what teams uh, had to offer money-wise. But I, I, guess I got a deep suspicion that he's going to go back to the Browns and play opposite of Miles Garrett. I think he likes that uh, dynamic. And uh, he can kind of be freed up um, because a lot of people want to, you know, focus on Miles and try to keep him at bay. So I think that you want to be that tandem for the Browns. It might be a little bit less money for him to take, but I think overall, holistically, I think he's going to end up taking a, a deal with the Browns at some point to team back up with Miles Garrett. Next on my list is Kyle Fuller, cornerback, um, formerly of the Broncos. Um, there's quite a few people that need a, a solid corner. I'm surprised that um, he didn't opt to go back to Denver with their. Uh, ascension uh, in the ranks, and I mean it's not out of the it's not out of the cards, obviously, um, but I'm sure there's a lot of teams going to you know offer a few dollars for to get his services. Uh, still a formidable corner. Um, I'll give him a, the grade of a, being a, a zone cover corner, um, and uh, I think the teams four teams that come to mind in my uh, analysis would be the Patriots definitely need a corner. I mean they picked up some uh, some corners in the draft. I'm not sure who these guys are, but he, he picked up a few, but he did lose JC Jackson, their number one corner to the Chargers. So, um, I would say the Patrick definitely needed a corner. If he wants to go somewhere with kind of a winning culture, I'm not saying they're going to be a contending team. Cause I think most of these guys on my list are looking for a contender first and then they'll try to chase money after fact. But you know, you don't really want to, especially guys in, in, you know, their late twenties, early thirties, not going to be looking to go to a team that is not going anywhere. You know, that's going to be a first option, but you know, you know, if push comes to shove, the contenders don't come calling, then uh, I think they'll just, you know, take his best, the best money available, best situation available. There's a team that's kind of on the fringe. But uh, the Pats come to mind for the California, the Jets, they go along with Sauce Gardner. Uh, the Bears, going back to the Bears, potentially, they need a corner. Uh, they got Kyle Gordon in the draft, but uh, they could use a, another one. Um, but yeah, I think that's one destination he could happen. He could go back there. And the Cards in the corner as well. They've been struggling in the corner or trying, struggling to find the guy since they lost Patrick Peterson a couple of years ago. So I think he, he can end up there as well um, to be in uh, in the NFC West to f- team up with uh, uh, Kyler Murray and those boys. So um, yeah, well, that's a couple of definitions, de- destinations, I should say, that he could wind up at and will be uh, um, a likely place where he can kind of flourish, I think. So uh, next up on my list is Julio Jones, 
uh, receiver. Um, I think my 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 eyes are on the Ravens. I think the Ravens did themselves well in the draft, and I will talk about that in a little bit. But I really think that the uh, Ravens are desperate need of a corner. I mean, excuse me, of a wide receiver. So um, with that being said, I'm going to believe that the Ravens are going to make a play for him. A play for somebody, but I think that the, the first guy and the highest guy on their list would be uh, Julio or Jarvis. But, um, I mean, we want to go for big play. You know, I think Julio, although he has injuries problems, I think they're going to opt to go for Julio first, bigger target, um, you know, um, more more of a dynamic playmaker, you know, kind of got kind of stretch the field a little bit. Um, so I think my, my biggest uh, uh, thought in, in regards to where he might go is definitely the Ravens. They will probably be the biggest um, contending team that will likely um, you know, vie for his services. So I'm looking at Julio Jones lineup with the Ravens with them lead, uh, trading Hollywood Brown away. Um, Cause right now the receiver room is Rashad Bateman and Darvin Duvernay. So I think they're desperately needed of a, of a, of a wide receiver or two. So uh, I think that will ultimately uh, wind up, um, uh, you know, making a play for Julio. So we'll see how things go in that regard. All right. So next of all, my list is Akeem Hicks, a uh, defensive tackle, formerly of the bears. Um, you know, mainly a run stopping guy, not, not big, not big on pass rush. So that kind of limits him a little bit. Um, so, you know, teams are definitely still in need of a, a good run stopping guy in their base defenses. Right. Um, so he has a market, I think, uh, once rumored that the charges were maybe looking to uh, grab him, but I think they did well for themselves in the draft. So I don't think they're going to reach out to, you know, heavy, he is familiar with Brandon Staley um, when he was in Chicago, as well as you know teaming up with Khalil Mack again. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure the Chargers won't reach heavy for him if they do want to bring him in to add a, another body to that uh, D line. But I think they did pretty well for themselves in free agency and the draft uh, as far as revamping that, uh, that D line and on top of the guys they had in the house already. So I mean, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't say the Chargers are high on this list, but um, it's a possibility. Um, just just a, from previous ties. Um, but overall, I think the three teams that I have in mind for the Keem Hicks are the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the Chiefs. I think any of those three teams can benefit from a, a good interior D lineman, especially a guy that's uh, good in, against the run and good, um, good stout, very stout in the middle. Uh, next one on my list is Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham, I think they're most likely going in the back of the Rams. I mean, I don't, I don't see him. I think he's very comfortable there. I think that you know he, he has his best chance of winning there and being uh, a focal point in that offense once he comes back healthy. From his ACL, so I think like most likely event that he's going to buy his time and end up in uh in in LA again with the Rams. So, but strange things happen, but I think that's the most likely destination for him. Uh, next on my list seven is Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle uh is you know he definitely made a name for himself, quote unquote. I'm kind of surprised he's still out here as a free agent. Uh, although the Rams let him go, um, you know they got Cam Akers back, and um, they, I think they were just going to be. Uh, comfortable with what they had in house already with Daryl Henderson and uh, Cam Akers with them being healthy, so they let him go. Um, so he's on he's in the market for a new team. Um, there's a few teams out here that uh, that honestly could use a nice steady running back. I mean, they may have their primary guy, but you always need a two back system in order to be uh, formidable in a run game because you don't want to burn out your primary guy. So the four teams I had on, on the list that could use him are the Bengals on the back of Joe Mixon, uh, the Steelers, the back of Najee Harris. Um, the Bears, the backup uh, David Montgomery, and the Saints, the backup uh, Alvin Kamara. So I think those four teams could utilize a good heavy, uh, uh, you know, one cut running back in Sonny Michelle. So we'll see how that goes for him. Uh, next on my list is at eight is Eddie Goldman, another D tackle formerly of the Bears. Uh, the Bears lost their whole entire interior D line uh, group, <laughs> and they are in free agency still. 
Eddie Gomez on the block. He's another run stuffing uh, interior uh, D lineman. Um, and who I have on his docket is the Seahawks as well. Um, looking for another interior lineman. The Cards and the Chiefs, same thing with Akeem Hicks. I think any of those teams can benefit from a good interior run stuffing uh, D lineman, you know, in their base packages. All right, nine is Joe Schobert. Joe Schobert's on my list as the uh, as the as the best linebacker of the uh, remaining free agents out here. Um, he was formerly of the Jags and the uh, Brown Browns, and I think he played with the Steelers one year. So, um, you know, still really good, solid inside linebacker. I'm, so, I'm kind of surprised he's he's not you know caught on with any other team as well. But I think the Dolphins can benefit from having his services inside. The Patriots could. They need um, another good inside linebacker in their in their scheme. Uh, the Bengals definitely could use an upgraded D line, a linebacker, excuse me, uh, as well as the Titans. The Titans were losing Rashad Evans. I think they could use uh, another linebacker in their defense. So uh, those are four destinations that, that could likely uh, land uh, uh, Joe Schobert if they uh, if you saw him kind of sign with any of those teams that had the cap space. And number ten is Jarvis Landry. Um, I put Jarvis Landry on here because he usually has a little bit of injury bug ongoing. And he's trying to heal up from those things and from the off from the season and off season. Um, but it's still a you know a productive receiver. Um, I would say that my biggest uh, thought in his in his uh, space would be him going back to the Browns. I think that the Browns are definitely in need of another receiver uh, to go alongside Mark Cooper. Um, so him going back to the Browns to to play with Deshaun Watson is a, is a likely candidate. The Ravens are another to go against his old team. But um, if I think if they opted for Julio, they would probably be out on another red receiver and inside in two. So um, I think they would choose him over Julio over him. But um, if Julio does go elsewhere, then they might look to uh, bring Jarvis in. But yeah, for now, I think those are the biggest and 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 most notable free agents that could sign in, in, in days to come since people have finally uh, drafted the players and they may be missing a, a piece or two to their roster that they need to fill. All right. So moving on, we're going to talk about the draft now. Let's, let's talk about it. Um, it's definitely something that we have, uh, we enjoyed. It was definitely a, a star-studded event. Like I said, the, the production, the the just the overall show of it. I mean, it was it was top notch. It was definitely top notch. And finally, see a draft that's fully, um, and you know, from a fan perspective, it's fully back and on since you know COVID from two years ago. You know, it is definitely uh, it was a sight to see. It was you know a sight for sore eyes, as some people would say. That you know, we were definitely looking to kind of get back to some type of normalcy when it comes down to that, and and that's what they did. It was a, it was no shortage of fans out there. The Vegas had a, a a large number of people out there just for that particular festivity, so it was definitely a nice uh, venue to see the Bellagio um, stage and all that stuff. Man, it was very nice to see uh, overall. And then you know the actual you know the actual place and reason why you know you were actually there to drive itself. You know, it was it was from the first round to the seventh round. It was all, uh, it was a bunch of drama. I mean, needless to say, it was a bunch of drama. You know, it was good drama. You know, people trading, moving around. You know, moving up and down in in in, in spaces and things of that nature. Um, but overall, like I said, I think the my biggest biggest takeaway from the whole situation is that it was a very intelligent draft. Um, people, you know, jockey for the position that they absolutely positively needed to be in. Um, I wouldn't say it was predictable, but it was, it was, uh, people did their homework with regards to what they felt like, uh, teams were driving what they needed. Um, and they were able to kind of maneuver around in that space to be able to get the guys that they really wanted. Um, you know, there's some bigger, big winners in this draft and some slim losers. So we're going to get into that here. Now we're going to talk about uh, who we think our biggest winners and losers 
are from the draft. Um, we're going to show up a great graphic real quick right here. All right, so we'll start with the winners. <laughs> the winners here, the the New York Jets, Jets will give get my first vote of uh, confidence when it comes down to uh, drafting. Now, I will say there's always, always a caveat to this. Now, I'm just basing this on specifically the way they, how they drafted, not exactly what what it's going to mean for the team or how good they're going to be going forward. None of that, because we don't know anything like that. All we know is the fact that they did what they did in the draft, and we're basing it solely on that. So for them, I give them a grade of A. Uh, they drafted really well. Um, they jockeyed for position. They had two firsts already, and they, they actually got into the f- uh, first round to get a third. Um, so they drafted Sauce Gardner first, um, was the, to me was the number one corner in the draft. Uh, they got Gary Wilson, who's the number one receiver in the draft. Um, then they came, came back into the first and got Jermaine Johnson, who was like, to me, the third or fourth pass rusher in the draft to go along with uh, a returning Carl Lawson. Um, then they got Brees Hall in the second, who's the best running back. So to me, they've got the top, they got three guys at the top of their position in the draft. And then a guy that was probably rated third. So you mean to tell me that in four picks, they got ones, they got for printed with starters. That's one. Two, they got uh, guys that were rated high in their in their position group, uh, either one or between one and three in, every, in those first four picks. I mean, that's a slam dunk. I mean, I don't think it gets any better than that. Um, you know, regardless of, regardless of what the Jets do as a team, in all honesty, uh, you know, that's not up to Joe Douglas, but what Joe Douglas did in the draft as a GM for the last two years with the roster between free to see the draft in the last two years, completely revamped his roster, and he's definitely got them in a position of, of trying to win and win now. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, again, whatever Robert Sala does or does not do and what Zach Wilson ultimately uh, takes his team to or doesn't take his team to, is you know you can't really put that on Joe Douglas. He did his job, you know. So I would definitely say that uh, no matter what, Joe Douglas is definitely a, a savant when it comes to being a GM, and just based upon what he did. My second team in this uh, gambit was the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers sneaky draft. Um, people aren't giving him the credit that uh, that he's that they're due. Honestly, in my opinion, um, I think that based upon what they needed, because they didn't have a, a, a bunch of needs. I think that the Jets and the Texans and the Seahawks in particular who were on this list had the big needs. They had a lot of needs and a lot of ca- draft capital. But the Pittsburgh Steelers didn't have a lot of draft capital, but they did the most with what they had. So they draft Kenny Pickett in the first round, uh, pick number 20, because they needed a quarterback is obviously because uh, Ben Roethlisberger has retired, right? Um, so that's one need. Um, and they did their most homework they could have possibly done on, against him uh, with him playing for Pittsburgh for four years and being in the building every day, um, playing on their home field. So they knew him intimately. Then they turned around in the second round and got George Pickens, uh, one of the best wide receivers, underrated wide receivers in the draft because he was hurt last year. But had he not been hurt for a stretch, uh, he probably would have been a no more overall uh, wide receiver. But he dropped for because of injury. So he comes back healthy most likely, and he's going to fit in right with Claypool and Deontay Johnson. Uh, they, they will ultimately uh, give Pickett all the weapons that he's going to ultimately need from a receiving core. Now, on, t- on top of that, they got Najee Harris as a running back who's a dual threat. So, then they pick up uh, DeMarvin Leo, um, a D-tackle, a highly rated D-tackle um, in the draft, and I believe on the third round, which was, you know, a steal because I didn't think he'd fall that far to uh, the Steelers there. And then they picked up Calvin Austin, who's a kick returner slash slot receiver um, in, in the fourth round. So, I mean, I mean, we check all the boxes and check them well. That's a great draft. 
That was a great draft. Like I said, it was not a situation where they truly, you know, blew you away with, you know, number one overall picks and all this kind of stuff. But when when you look at their roster from two years ago to now, you know, it's it's it, it's another retooling. They didn't they didn't rebuild like this, you know, like some teams have been doing. They retooled and they got they checked every box that they needed to check as far as weapons, quarterback, D line replacement, you know, you name it. The receiving core looks lovely. And the quarterback is in place. The running back's already there. They they revamped the O line. Defense is top notch still. It always has been. So I gotta give the Steelers a lot of credit. So I give them a grade of A as well. But the Houston Texans are up next, and not people aren't talking about the Texans either. The Texans had a great draft. I mean, top to bottom. I mean, it wasn't. I had to go down to like the six, seven pictures to try to understand uh, where they may have got a project in in a pick. I, I mean, it literally went. It went six players deep before I'd be like, okay, all right, this guy's a project. I haven't heard a lot about him, but that's that's remarkable. I mean, it is the team that's rebuilding, and they they're at these they have this draft capital, and they have these uh, needs for a reason because they weren't that good last year, obviously, last couple of years. But you know, but just just to see how intelligent they drafted, like so starting off, they did shock everybody in drafting Derek Stingley, and I had the feeling that they were going to be a kind of a wild card because they needed so much. So they 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 felt good about drafting Stingley at number three, right? They got him. Then they turned around in the mid round and drafted Kenyon Green, or the, one of the best, if not the best, interior O lineman in the draft. Uh, they're going on with Larry Tunsil on the O line. Then they turn around in, in, in the second round and drafted Jalen Petrie, one of the best uh, free safeties out there from Baylor. So they got him as a, as a star uh, as a star uh, safety, which 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 ultimately means quickly in a football sense is that he plays multiple positions. He plays slot corner, outside linebacker in the sub package, free safety, you name it. He does it all. So that definitely a Swiss army knife of players that he's got that he he that he has that he can put him on and he can put in love he can put him anywhere on his defense that he so desires. So that was definitely a great pickup. And another underrated pickup was Joe Mechie, the third wide receiver. Who, who was highly rated, but he was injured as well. So him along with George Pickens were kind of in the same boat where they would probably have went higher in the first round had they not been hurt. But they got him as a steal, as, as a receiver, uh, to go along with Brandon Cooks, who they just resigned. And on top of that, they got Christian Harris, a linebacker from Alabama, who's, a, who's an excellent player, excellent player. One of the, I want to say, probably the top five as far as inside linebackers are concerned in the draft. Uh, got him in the third round. And they got Damian Pierce, the, the running back, the bruising running back from Florida. So you, you, they got a starting running back, starting corner, starting guard, starting free safety, starting wide receiver, and starting linebacker all in one draft. So, I mean, there's, for a team that need, need a lot of, uh, need a lot, need a lot, oh, need a lot uh, to uh, to get themselves back into a competitive uh, mode, they definitely did that. They definitely did that. So, uh, shouts out to the Texans, man. I give them a grade of A as well. So Seattle's up next, and I give them a grade of A minus, and I and I'll tell you why I give them an A minus in a minute. But as far as personnel is concerned and what they did in the draft, oh uh, man, I was very shocked when I had to go back and look at the recap. I was very shocked um, that they uh, that they did as well as they did. They definitely killed the draft. Um, you know, my biggest need for them, and this is the reason why I give them a minus, is that they still haven't addressed the quarterback situation. And let's be honest here, if in the NFL right now, if you don't have a quarterback, you'll have nothing. You know, if you have a quarterback, you got a chance. That's definitely something that, uh, you know, everybody hangs their hat on and they're being true. 
you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything. So they don't have a quarterback yet. I don't believe in Drew Locke and 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 uh and Geno Smith. I don't. Um, so I really truly think that in as as a bold move, they should really go out and uh get Baker Mayfield. And I say get Baker Mayfield because I think Jimmy Garoppolo is another as a better option, but guess what? The 49ers are not gonna sell you Jimmy Garoppolo unless you give up a King's ransom for him because they don't want to see him in a division. So they're not gonna give you Jimmy Garoppolo. So your yeah, next best option is Baker Mayfield. I really think that you should go out and get Baker Mayfield. At least you make yourself relevant for a year. He only has $18 million guaranteed left on his deal for this year. All you got to do is use him for this year and you'll be competitive. And that will ultimately uh, allow you to, uh, you know, kind of work your way into your new roster uh, and build your and build your uh, players up while you're, uh, you know, trying to figure out who your next quarterback is going to be in a draft because they've got draft capital uh, next year as well um, in that Russell Wilson trade. So they're going to get – um, you know, have two first rounds, of, I'm sure, uh, next year. So that's something they can look forward to and try to get a, a quarterback for the next draft. But, um, you know, you know if, I'm, if I'm Pete Carroll and I think I know him, his his mindset pretty well, is that I, I'm sure he doesn't want to tank or lose a lot to allow them to get a quarterback. I think he'd rather be, you know, you know, basically, you know, decently competitive. Um, and, and Baker Mayfield will allow you to be that. But yet again, if they're looking to just you know do a, have a developmental year and just develop the guys they got, then that, that's something they could do too. But getting into these actual draft picks here, man, they drafted Charles Cross, one of the best left tackles in the entire uh, draft. Um, got him to fill Dwayne Brown's spot. Got him to do that. Uh, so that was their first pick. Then they picked Boye Mafe, and then with the next pick, uh, one of the top edge rushers in the draft. Uh, he was had a low first round grade on him. Uh, then they got Kenny Walker, the third, from uh, from uh, uh, Mississippi State, uh, one of the best, if not the best, running back in the draft, along with him and Brees Hall, uh, to go along with Rashad Penny and, Char- and, and Chris Carson. Uh, then they got Abraham Lucas, a right tackle, to fill out their, both their edges on their O line. <laughs> then they got Kobe Bryant, a corner, <laughs> uh, well, I believe out of Clemson. Uh, they got him. He was highly rated. Um, he's like the fourth or fifth corner on the bo- on everybody's board. They got Tariq Woolen and Bo Melton. <laughs> so, uh, oh man, uh, they, I was they got well, two, four, five, seven good players in the draft. Seven good players out of all the draft capital they had. So, hey, they they knocked it out of the park. Like the only thing they're missing to to me is the fact that they now have a quarterback. That's the only thing to me they're missing. So once they uh you know fill that out, then we can talk about exactly where they at and where they land, um as far as uh, how competitive they're going to be. Um, but again, if they're just looking to develop and and kind of, you know, kind of take a you know a mulligan on the year, and and get a quarterback next draft, then that's fine too. But um you know I just don't think Pete Carroll's into losing that much. So I thought he would get the best quarterback he could have possible to help run his team. You know, and, and and it would be a basically a situation like Baker Mayfield had in, in Cleveland, where he would have a dominant run game and good receivers, and he would, you know, he would ultimately, uh, you know, be able to kind of do what he did in Cleveland, and that would win you enough games. I mean, he did get to a playoff series in that, with that particular formula, so it would work. But who knows, man? Who knows? So the Baltimore Ravens is is my last on my list as my top five of winners. They killed the draft as well. Now, only the reason I gave them an A minus in this in this particular stretch is that they didn't they didn't retool what they lost. So they traded away Hollywood Brown, who didn't want to be there anymore, for a first round pick with the cards. Um, but they didn't at any point in time draft a receiver. Um, so their receiver and room is bare, like I alluded to earlier about the free agents 
So if they don't address the receiver, I mean, you got all the running game in the world that you want to have, and you got a great old line, but you got nobody to throw it to. And this is a passing league. I mean, let's just be honest about it. You can't get away without passing the ball and win games and win it and become highly competitive. So they got to figure that out some way in the free agency or something, trade something. They got to figure it out before the season starts because you can't roll out Rashad Babin and Devin Dooney by themselves and expect to win games. I'm sorry. But addressing what they picked up, though, was definitely a steal. Cal Hamilton fell to them at the, at the, when they traded down in the draft. He fell, he, he, he uh, fell to them. Um, so they picked him up in free safety to go along with uh, Marcus Williams, who they picked up in free agency. Uh, they got Tyler Linderbaum, a, say, a center, the best center in the draft uh, from Iowa. Got him. They got David Ojabo to go along with Ode, Ode Ofe, who they drafted last year. I believe they were teammates. Um, and I think they're going to be roommates, according to what I saw in the tweets. So David Ojabo, when he comes back uh, uh, fresh from that Achilles injury, he's going to be the other edge rusher to go along with Ode. So they got their edge rushers for the future and young bunch of young athletic guys, you know, rangy guys. Uh, to uh, to basically bolster their pass rush, and then you got Travis Jones, the one of the uh, big D tackles, run stopping D tackles in the draft. Uh, they got him. Then they got David Falele, uh, the three hundred eighty five uh, right pound right tackle, uh, uh, in the draft as well in the lower rounds. So to fill out their right tackle spot, so they they basically got him, Lindenbaum, and Stanley at, at their at their uh, O line uh, positions, the three out of their five O line positions. So they look. Really formidable and on online, <laughs> and, and and on top of that, defense is looking elite. Another fantasy, you know, spoiler. Another fantasy uh, football defense that you might want to pick up uh, in in coming seasons time. So uh, that defense is looking formidable. The offense needs some receivers, but everything else is checked off. So I definitely give the Ravens uh, a A minus in their draft. So you know, as we always see, always we always do, we talk about winners. We got to talk about the losers too. <laughs> we got to talk about the losers too. And, um, you know, I, although I did call this draft a very intelligent draft, I still feel like that some teams just didn't, they just didn't strike me as knowing exactly what they wanted to do. They kind of were kind of lost or they just had the rotten luck of of the guys they really wanted or position they really needed wasn't available like they wanted to and they didn't want to force it. They kind of took the best available in certain spots. But overall, I just had, I took issue with some with a lot of people's decision-making when it came down to the draft. So, the first team I want to discuss is the Arizona Cardinals. They did trade for Hollywood Brown. I did. We'll give them credit for that. But as as the news broke um, Monday afternoon, uh, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be out for six games. He has suspended for PEDs. So Hollywood Brown is going to be the number one receiver along with AJ Brown and, and Zach Ertz at tight end. Um, they did go out and get themselves a tight end in Trey McBride, who was a very uh, talented uh, pass catching uh, tight end. But um, they did nothing else that that was relevant to, of of, cha- of need and change. They needed some interior O line. They didn't address that. They need interior D line. They didn't address that at all either. So the biggest needs to me that you didn't address, and you picked up like a bunch of guys. Again, just a bunch of guys. I mean, I can read the names off to you, but it, I won't waste your time because you don't know who these guys are. You know, in all honesty. So I would definitely say, uh, you know, I think the Arizona Cardinals kind of kind of fumbled the bag there. I really do. I really do. So I have to give him a grade of D. I don't, I don't like any of the moves outside of the tight end. And that's not a, a deep position of need because you got Zach Ertz. You're paying Zach Ertz already. So you didn't need a secondary uh, tight end necessarily. But I mean, I guess maybe that was just the best guy on the board at the time that you were picking because you, you kept trading and trading and trading and trading down. And I believe in the second round, you actually took a player. So 
I'm not sure what the Cardinals were doing. Um, and you know, this this is that moment you probably needed to show Kyler that you're all in on trying to make the team as best as you uh, possibly can to get him to rein him back in to make him sure he signs that extension. So I, I don't know, Arizona, you kind of kind of make me scratch my head this particular draft. So uh, my next team up is the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I gave them a D minus as well. Um, none of their picks made sense at all. Only pick that made sense to me uh, is is Perion Winfrey. The D tackle, uh, but um, you know they definitely need an interior tackle. They haven't gotten a, a really good interior uh, D lineman since uh, Sheldon Richardson. So I, I definitely was an area of need. But everybody else, I mean, they needed O line, interior O line. They didn't address that. They needed receivers real bad. They didn't address that. And it was a deep receiver group. They didn't address that either. So again, Cleveland, what were we doing here? I mean, you know, some of it's rotten luck, but I still got corners. I mean, excuse me, wide receivers and O-line that went later in the draft that you didn't bother to draft. Again, you drafted just a bunch of guys. Now, granted, you know, you got scouts to do this for a living. You know, I'm just looking at what I see on film, what I seen in college, but the guys that you drafted, you know, unless you know something I don't, and you probably, you may could, you may, you may, or may or full well know something I don't. And this is something you see in him in these guys that you drafted that, that nobody else sees. And you may be able to get the best out of these guys. But when you got glaring needs, you know, most people were erred on the side of the need and just drafted the best position available at that need I had. And they didn't do that. So I definitely gave him a D minus in that regard. Now, the Cowboys, Cowboys, the next one on the list. Let's just say this. The best thing the Cowboys did in this draft was draft a guy that's not available this year. They drafted uh, Damone Clark, for the linebacker from LSU, who was probably, probably be the number one linebacker uh, of the draft had he had not had hurt, gotten hurt and had uh, had to have spinal fusion surgery and would be out the whole year. But they said he's going to make a full recovery, so he should be available next year. But that was your best draft pick. You drafted Tyler Smith in the first round, uh, O-lineman, who was, wasn't even the best O-lineman at that, at that particular moment, but you took him. Why I don't know when he was also the most penalized uh, O lineman in the draft. You can pick up another misfit to play for you on the O line. I don't get that. So they got a flat on F. I think they really screwed the draft. I don't know what Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones were doing this draft. I don't know they were drinking instead of drafting, but <laughs> I'm here to tell you that they completely and utterly screwed up the draft. They did not score at all, at all, and, I, and they did not get any better. Because the idea and the object of the draft is to get better. From the time you walk into the time you leave, you should have gotten better, and you didn't. You actually got worse, in my opinion. So they get a flat out of F. Now, the Chicago Bears, although some people they picked up I did like, um, probably the most uh, uh, players on this list that I liked that they picked up, but um, I really felt like it was a misguided uh, situation for them uh, when it came down to what they ultimately truly, what their biggest and glaring needs were. They didn't address it. Didn't address it. They definitely need O-line. I think everybody in the world that watches football, NFL football, knows that they need O-line and multiple O-linemen. And it was O-linemen galore. I mean, hell, the Chargers got an O-lineman in the sixth round who had a second-round grade. So you can't tell me when people that were available out there. You know, you did pick some decent players. I give you credit for that. But your most glaring needs you didn't address. You, I, I just alluded to early on talking about free agency that you were missing two interior O-linemen. You didn't address that early. You didn't address the running back position early, in my opinion. So the only thing you addressed to my liking was a cornerback, Kyle Gordon. Uh, you addressed you dressed that, and he's he's going to be Kyle Fuller's replacement finally after two years. Then you dressed you drafted Jaquan Brister, uh, safety, you know, who's a good solid player. But yet again, you had you know, did you really absolutely positively need safety 
as the as the overall you know high need. I don't think you did. Uh, as well as Velez Jones Jr. That's the wide receiver that they drafted. But yet again, you had better options higher up. Like Kyle Gordon should have been only play, picked. I, I can agree with this. You should have took it that spot. Everybody else, you could have you could have moved down and got a a player later on in the draft that is just as comparable and picked up a, a, a bigger area of need. And again, that's O line, D line, and running back. You didn't address that at all in early on in any formidable sense. And I think that again, you're not helping out. You're not helping your cause. You're not helping out your franchise quarterback by by drafting horribly. And that's what they did. So I gave him a D. I gave him a D for that draft. And last but not least, the New England Patriots. I gave them an F minus because I don't know what in the hell did Bill Belichick was doing this draft. I don't, again, I think he might have been drinking with Jerry because. <laughs> The, the the best player I liked on the, in this particular draft was the running back that he drafted late in, in the draft, Pierre Strong. That was the that was the best pick I could see. The the, the Cole Strange pick was strange. And people had third, fourth round grades on him, and he picked him up in the first. Don't understand that. I, I don't understand why you weren't more aggressive about trading up or down to get the players that you really wanted or needed. I don't get that. But every pick you made out, you know, every pick outside of Pierre Strong, I just scratched my head at like you know, and Bill has always been known to be a guy that get guys that he likes and certain things that he likes about what they do and his scheme and his environment. I get it. But unless these guys hit, you know, that we don't who guys who we don't know these guys from college at all, you know, very, you know, very uh, minuscule as far as notoriety. We don't know who these guys are for the most part, you know, is is big time names. If he turns them into superstars, kind of like we did with JC and a few others, then, I, then I'll back off. But based upon just the eye test of what I saw, I had to give him F minus. I really did. Because I didn't understand it at all what he was doing. It didn't make a lot of sense at all. It didn't. And honestly and truly, I'm just scratching my head what Bill has been doing for a while as far as the draft is concerned. You know, and maybe he needs to just turn it over to, you know, the GM, let them do their job, and, and you just coach because you suck at drafting from what I can see. So. That's my draft, and that's my take on biggest of losers, man. Um, yeah, I, like I said, the draft was a very good draft um, as far as the talent and uh, presentation. So it was definitely was a great uh, experience overall, and uh, you know, definitely look forward to uh, what these rookies going to do in minicamp and in the season. I just wish them big health and they stay strong and they don't uh, have any nagging injuries going into the preseason or all regular season. They can actually get on the field early, so we can see what they got. I think there's a lot of talented guys that uh, will ultimately be big, big time contributors down the line. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Charter's Corner. We're going to break down our draft and, uh, and our draft picks that we got in uh, LA this year. Uh, stay tuned for that. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. Hey, I'm just here so I don't get fined. So, all my Lockdown Defense goons and goblins, Coach Defense here, wanted to remind you that our weekly debate show, Sports Talk with Coach and Kirk, Broadcast live each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and simulcast on Twitch and YouTube. We bring you chase down blocks and decleaning content each and every Saturday. And so I'm here to tell you, keep your head on the swivel because you never know exactly what Coach Curry and I will say next. Each and every week, we break down hot topics of the NFL and NBA of the week in the world of sports. Have you ever seen the show by now? It, one ad can honestly truly not do it justice. So, It'll be your best interest. It'll be your best interest to tune in live or on replay each and every week for authentic, honest, and real opinion that goes on in the sports world. And we might have the Rose Light Light Skin Coalition uh, week to week for being extra. So the show goes live each and every week on YouTube and Twitch. Search Lockdown Davis Podcast on YouTube 
and follow us on twitch.tv forward slash lockdown diva sports live and direct each and every saturday 9 p.m eastern standard time subscribe to all our platforms turn your notification bells on and if you miss any part of the show the replay goes live on all platforms at 11 a.m eastern standard time on uh, youtube google Podcasts, spotify anchor iHeartRadio, and apple Podcasts. so check us there check us out there and as next i had a bonus if you want to get featured as the mailback question on the show live, email us at lockdowndefensesports at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter at Lockdown Defense. Uh, for all questions, must be submitted by Saturday at 5 o'clock for a chance to be on the show each week. As always, Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt, each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, dual cast on Twitch and YouTube. Coach Kurt and I are just here so we don't get banned. Now back to the show. <laughs> Back with Charter's Corner. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh, man, the draft is coming gone for the Chargers, man, and we definitely have uh, a new lease on life, <laughs> to say the least, man. Um, we definitely uh, scored in the draft, I want to say. Uh, definitely nervous times um, when it came down to, uh, you know, the, as you say, how the draft shook out in the first round. But um, all things kind of work together. Um, I think uh, – Chargers Twitter especially was kind of divided on what they should do at certain picks. But I think overall they had a good draft. Uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of different draft grades out there. Some people uh, gave us a high grade. Some people gave us a mid grade. Um, you know, I didn't see any low grades. But um, but for, for what the team needed, you know, and especially what I uh, had uh, underscored, what was the overall needs of the team going forward um, in this particular uh, space and where they're at right now um, as a roster, uh, I think they did a good job, bank up job of what they needed. I really do. Um, you know, I have my eyes on specific guys in certain spaces, but um, they got comparable guys that um, fit the bill um, just the same. So I'm definitely was happy with that. Um, so what we're gonna do here, real quick, is we're gonna give give a breakdown of all our draft picks, give them a grade of how we feel about uh, each draft pick um, and how they're gonna contribute to the uh, team. Um, uh, list out our, our underdrafted free agents and what we uh, can ultimately do and what we need going forward. Um, leaning into uh OTAs and mini camp and uh and, and training camp itself. Um, so let's talk about it here. I'll read it all for the radio audience, but um, anybody watching this on YouTube can see exactly what we got going on here. So, uh, the first pick at 17, we picked up uh Zion Johnson, offensive guy for Boston College. Um, slam dunk grade, uh, I, I, slam dunk A for me. I think that he was uh, one of the best between him and Kenya Green with this one, two or one, a one B as far as interior alignment in the draft. So they, they couldn't pass up on him. I really think the Chargers wanted to go for receiver there, but um, the run on receivers had and the ones they really wanted already highly rated were gone and they just couldn't ignore the need based upon what Zion had fell uh, to, uh, to the Chargers that they couldn't ignore the fact that he was there and he could contribute uh, to the offense instantly. 
Um, and we definitely had some needs at the interior O line, and he was the best out there at the time because Kenya Green had been drafted already. So Zion Johnson was the next best logical choice. So I'm not upset about the pick at all. It's not flashy, it's not sexy at all. I get it, you know, Chargers fans, but you know, sometimes you got to be gritty, you know, and I think that's what they were going to. They're trying to establish a physical identity with this team, and um, and they need big people like Zion to do that. Zion's a road grader. Um, he's really good in pass pro in the interior, which will keep people out of Justin Herbert's face. So we got to keep keep that in mind. Like I said, Zion's a slam dunk. Um, you know, he might like I said, he might not be the sexy pick. He might not be the receiver or the running back or the corner or whatever. Because I you know a lot of people say that he could have picked Trent McDuffie in this spot. I'd get it. Um, I was kind of thinking they might, you know, because they could add another corner to uh, the room and, and get uh, and make our pass defense just that much formid- more, more more formidable. But you know, they went O line. They had you know they had a more glaring need at O line than they did at corner. I think they could live with the idea of having uh, JC Asante Mike. You know, and those guys uh, at, at the corner spot versus having Trent uh, come in. So they wanted to go O-line and pick up Zion. So I'm fine with it. There's definitely an area of need and something that we sorely needed. Um, you want to protect the franchise. You got to protect the franchise because if Justin's not healthy, I don't care how good we are on defense. We're just not going to be as formidable as a team. So you got to you gotta, you gotta, uh, sometimes hedge your bet and go with best available. And that's what they did. Picked up Zion Johnson, um, number one. Now, Khalil Mack was our number two uh, draft, uh, number two pick in the uh, draft, uh, second round, because we traded our second round pick to the Bears for his services. So he was our second round pick. Um, so we forward over to the third round. We pick up JC Woods, uh, safety from Baylor. Um, him and Jalen Petrie was a, definitely a formidable tandem in, at Baylor this particular uh, past season. Um, and I, I, I contend that the Baylor track team plays football in the offseason because these boys can run. Uh, sub four was a four three nine. I think JT tested that um, at safety. He can run. He's he high motor. He can tackle. Um, the only thing that would kind of was a knock on him coming out is that you know, which is something you can clearly fix and can polish up real easy. Is that you know sometimes he over pursues and over commits and he gets out of positioning and um, maybe miss a tackle here or there. But you can clean it up. That's that's just straight up discipline in in a sense. So you gotta you can clean it up if if you can cover and do all the things in the secondary that we need you to do. And all you think we have to worry about is showing up your tackling. I think that's a win. I really think that's a win, especially how athletic he is, how tall he is. Um, he can, like I said, he can run, he's rangy. I mean, and you can also, this is the key and this is the caveat that where people aren't truly grasping when it comes down to why they pick JC, JT in my opinion, is the fact that they could do would allow them to play three safeties. And Derwin can really fold into that star role. And what a star uh, DB or, uh, or uh, safety will ultimately be is a hybrid. So he will be an outside linebacker in certain in certain packages. He will be uh, a, a slot corner in certain packages. He will be a blitzer in certain packages. Um, so they will allow Derwin to basically roam, and, and you can have Nazir and JT back covering deep, which they cl- uh, clearly can do and do well. So I think that as a dimension that, that Brandon Stelly didn't have last year, um, is the reason why he took JT in, at the third pick. So uh, I give that grade a B. I definitely agree that great to be based upon his skill set and his upside. He definitely has um, the tools that can basically, you know, be one of the uh, premier guys in Brandon Sanders' defense, in my opinion. So I think that's definitely a, a hit as well. So I give that I give that pick a B. Um, in the fourth round, we picked up Isaiah Spiller, uh, running back from uh, Texas A and M, which was to me I give it that great to be too for the simple fact that it was a position of need. 
uh, Austin Eckler uh, being the number one back and not having a formidable uh, backup was a definitely a cause for concern last year because a lot of times you ran into situations where either Austin got banged up or nicked up and he wasn't available in certain spots or uh, the simple fact that uh, you know he was just worn down in certain spots because he was carrying the ball too much and receiving the ball out of the backfield. And that's something Isaiah can do both of well. He's uh, he's in he's in you know straight line fast in senses, but he's he's between the tackle shifty. He's strong. And he's big. So that and that, so that gives you a complete and utter change of pace um, situation when he comes down to your running backs uh, running back room. So you know if you watch his tape, you watch his film, you understand that he has a lot of patience. He has a good short area burst, short area quickness, and he can uh, make plays um, between in between the tackles. And that going along with the O line that we have currently with Zion now, with Rashad, with Corey Lindsley, you can get things done in the run game, and you don't have to completely utterly rely on Austin Eckler. So that takes the pressure off Austin Eckler, and he can just be a multi-dimensional uh, back, be a receiving back, and be a, a dynamic uh, running and screening back when you need him. So you don't have to worry about spelling him and, and figure out what you're going to do and be limited in that space. So I think Isaiah Spiller was a slam dunk as well. I'll give that grade a B. So in the next pick, we in the fifth round, we picked up uh, Otito Ojibwoni, uh, a D-tackle, run-stopping D-tackle, 325-pound D-tackle out of UCLA. Um, they were very familiar with this kid. Uh, they watched him clearly because he's uh, he played in L.A., obviously, uh, for UCLA. Um, they watched him heavily, and I think that we, it was very smart of them. I was watching this as well because I kind of had my eyes on Neil Farrell, but they picked up o Otito instead. Um, which is a really good uh, run-stopping D-tackle that they could add to the base front that's going to help this run defense because clearly that was the, the most glaring issue that we had as a defense in, in, in particular last season is the simple fact that we just couldn't stop the run at all. So I think they completely and utterly flipped that on his head and, and decided that they were going to address that and address that heavily, and they did that in a big way. Getting Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson in the free agency, Khalil Mack in free agency, and then they drafted Otito. Which is to me, which is to me, is another slam dunk as far as uh, getting uh, another run stopping DT, DT uh, another big body in in that um, in that room. So I think that, and I saw some film on him as well going against Zion Johnson, and they were having a stalemate as a stalemate. So if if Zion, you know, is, is who's a great run blocker, was you know stalemating with him, you know, which tells me he's going to stalemate with a lot of old linemen or move a lot of old linemen out of the way and help the run defense. So I think that's another slam dunk. So I give that grade a B. So then in the sixth round, uh, we got to steal the draft, in my opinion, from an O-lineman perspective. <laughs> I think between Bernhard Ryman goes to the Colts, um, which was two picks away from my pick, which kind of made, oh, like, oh, man, we could have had Bernhard Ryman. But um, I think getting a Jamari uh, Salier, uh, offensive tackle from Georgia, um, in the sixth round, when he had a second-round grade on him, was a steal. So, uh so you basically added another road grading, which likely he will play inside more so than tackle. Um, based upon what I looked at in his limited film and things of that nature, I think he might be better suited based on his body type and his uh, physicality as an interior lineman, but he can play tackle. So clearly we still have a glaring need of right tackle, right? Um, so you got the, almost an embarrassment of riches with my filer, uh, Zion and Jamari at, at guards, which you can kick any of those, two of those three people maybe out, out to right tackle. And my father's played right tackle before in the league for Pittsburgh. So my guess, although Brandon Staley hasn't really uh, alluded to this yet, my guess would be that you would play Jamari and Zion inside and play Matt outside and let that be the O-line going forward. 
And uh, you still have Trey Pipkin and Will Clapp and those guys and Brendan James and all those guys as backups. But, you know, because we'll need depth because we always seem to get nicked up on the line here and there. But, you know, but having big, tall, physical, you know, uh, durable guys that, that drafting in this particular uh, um, Brandon Staley era is a win big time. It's definitely a win big time. So I think that he definitely completely, utterly over revamped the O-line and they were made it a point to protect Justin Herbert at all costs. And I'm here for it. I am definitely here for it. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, outside of drafting an outright right tackle, I mean, it was a slam dunk for me as far as drafting O-lineman. So uh, definitely kudos to the Chargers uh, front office for doing that. Now, getting to the sixth uh, round, uh, we drafted uh, J- Jasir Taylor, uh, cornerback from Wake Forest. Um, a pretty speedy uh, corner. I don't know much about him. Uh, him and Dean Leonard, they uh, out of Ole Miss, another corner. I give those two picks a C minus. Don't really know a lot about him. Um, do know Dean ran a four three nine uh, forty, so he's pretty fast. Um, but again, this might be one of those scouting things where Brandon saw some things in these guys as developmental talents and special teamers that could ultimately help the team, you know, in 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 certain spots or certain roles. So. We'll see how it shakes out. Um, but I kind of, you know, kind of wait and see for those picks. Kind of scratch my head at that because a couple of guys out there. Uh, Bo Melton was out there at one point as a receiver, um, a speedy receiver. They could have picked up instead. Um, they could have got Caitlin Barnes, who I've been talking about, uh, the, who also a teammate of JT Woods from Baylor. We're at a four-two-six forty and started for Baylor all last season. So, you know, I thought they could have went that direction, but I guess he he sees something in in Jasir and and Dean that maybe others don't see. Now, the only thing I really scratched my head at is a seven-round pick. They drafted Xander Horvath, Hor- Horvath, fullback from Purdue. Um, I gave that grade a D because uh, I really didn't understand it with a fullback already in the house, and people, most people don't carry two fullbacks. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, but it remains to be seen what his role will be, if it any. But um, ultimately, yeah, I kind of scratched my head at that one. But outside of that, man, it was to me, it was a good solid draft. Like I said, I think we got – uh, a minus two A's, one A minus one A, three B's, two C minuses, and a D. So I think well, all the picks we had, I think that's pretty solid. I think it's pretty solid. So uh, moving over to the D, uh, undrafted guys, um, don't know much about these guys on all honesty. So I'll just read the names off. Um, uh, some guys that I, they went undrafted, I thought they may pick up, but they didn't uh, get a chance to grab them. Um, they picked up a quarterback from Illinois, Brandon Peters, running back Letty Brown. There was some buzz about him and how uh, he played at West Virginia. Uh, running back Kevin Marks Jr. from Buffalo, wide receiver uh, Trayvon Bradford from o- Oregon State, uh, tight end Eric uh, Cormorhek uh, from Southern Cal, tight end uh, Stone Smart from Old Dominion, offensive tackle Andrew Trainer from William and Mary, center Isaac Weaver from ODU, uh, linebacker Tyreek Maddox Williams from Rutgers, offensive linebacker outside linebacker Ty Shelby from Louisiana Monroe. Cornerback Brandon Sebastian from Boston College. Safety Raheem Lane from Indiana. Uh, safety Scholar Thomas from Liberty. And kicker Jace, James McCourt from Illinois. So, yeah, those, pick, those guys who got picked up as undrafted free agency signings uh, who will probably join us in Ricky Minicamp. We'll evaluate them and find out exactly what they can do and how they can help out the team potentially in uh, gaining a 53-man roster spot. So we'll see there. But – my final point as we wrap up Charter's Corner, and uh, and I want to address to say that we kind of, instead of a kind of a need that we haven't addressed, and um, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the uh, team plans to do uh, going forward in, in this regard, but I really still feel like we need two things. 
I think we need uh, a wide receiver, a speed wide receiver. I think we need to add some speed to the wide receiver room. And I was hoping that we do that in the draft in the first round. But the way the draft shook out, I, I get it. I mean, if you, you would have had to honestly had to trade up and give up uh, a lot of draft capital to get uh, a receiver because they went high and fast. The guys that you really wanted to get. I think they had their eyes on Jameson Williams. I think they had their eyes on Chris Olave, who run really, really fast. Um, you know, um, far as straight line speed, but um, but they weren't able to get either, either one of those guys because of Jameson actually got traded up for it to get um, in the in the uh, in the draft by the Lions. But Chris Olave went to eleven to the uh, Saints. So uh, yeah, we just didn't have opportunity. So we did best available and got Zion. So I'm not upset, but I think still we can maybe address it. Uh, from a speed position in in free agency still. Um, my main uh, guy I have my eye on is uh, Marcus uh, Goodwin, Marquise Goodwin. Um, a still extremely fast and speedy uh, wide receiver that's in free agency at the moment. Uh, I think we can bring him in and he can add some speed and, and um, some explosiveness to that offense um, that will allow us to push the ball down the field if, if need be. Um, so he's, heavy, he's a guy that got my eye on, but Overall, I mean, if they could find a way to either, you know, pick up a guy and uh, as 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 things move around in the offseason or right before preseason is over, that might be a good idea. Um, but yeah, but I would look at Marquise if, if if the money was right and we could find you know find a way to bring him in. And the other last thing would be the uh, outside edge rusher as a backup. We have one, in my opinion, that's serviceable Chris Rump. You know, if uh, Joey or Khalil went down, but I think we need one more. I think we need more and more edge rusher to uh to address the depth at that position and uh that will ultimately fill out the roster in my opinion. So um yeah. So we did that um along with whatever these uh I'll the free agency uh free agent guys will ultimately bring or not bring to the table will be uh something to see. But overall, I mean I, def- I definitely like the way the roster sits now versus what it did um before free agency started. So um, I think we're moving in the right direction. I think so. I think the only thing we're missing truly is some explosive over the top uh uh speed at the wide receiver position if we can find that in some way shape or form then we're right right there in the thick and ready to compete for a division title so we'll see how things check out man we'll keep tracking this and we'll keep watching over it and uh and we'll see how things go move forward in the offseason hopefully we can stay healthy and don't have any you know uh, bang you know bang bang injuries or, or long-term injuries that will you know derail uh, a vital part of our roster and we can get things done but uh, until until next time that we can address this, man, we'll um you know we'll keep watching it, and uh, we'll uh, keep bringing charges news to you as we as we see fit. And as always, if you want to catch any parts of uh of me talking charges news each and every week, you can check us out on the Wild Wild West podcast. Um, that's each and every Wednesday at seven thirty, uh, Eastern uh, Standard Time on my channel, uh, as well as the MHRT Network. Um, if you want to search that as well, but uh, my channel is you know it have it live. We stream it each and every week on my channel, so we can pull up to that. Uh, to, to us uh, each and every weekend uh, we'll be discussing uh, AFC West news um, so uh, we're going to take a, a quick pause and we're going to come back with the fourth quarter closeout it's the Lockdown Davis Podcast
And we are back with a full quarter closeout of the Lockdown Davis podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh, man, 84 episodes are in the books, man. I appreciate everybody that's been rocking with me this whole entire time. Listen to the entirety of this podcast, man. I appreciate everybody that's been rocking with me. All the new subscribers out there, appreciate your support. Uh, if you have not subscribed to the uh, channel already, please do so. We're doing a giveaway at 100 subscribers. So we will definitely get that going for you as soon as we hit 100, man. Uh, thank you for everybody that's been listening to us, man. Also, check me out on the Wild Wild West podcast uh, each and every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my channel, going live and direct for you as the AFC West uh, teams and podcast members do battle. Every team in the AFC West is being represented in, in its entirety on the AFC West podcast. Each and every week we battle over who's the best in the West. So we definitely going to do that for you big and, and uh, it's been going really well. So we uh, pre- appreciate everybody that's listening to us each and every week for that. As always, man, we're going to do our fourth quarter closeout. We're going to get out of our awards for Breakout Player of the Week and Lockdown Defender of the Week playoff edition. So let's get into it. All right. So our awards for Breakout Player of the Week are Luka Doncic. Uh, Luka averaging 34 points per game this cycle. And uh, 11.3 rebounds, seven assists per game. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who I talked about at length of this podcast, is on a new level. Uh, average of 29.7 points a game, 13 rebounds a game, and 7.3 assists a game. So, yeah, definitely Luka and Giannis are putting their teams on their back and trying to get them to the promised land. So, definitely give a shout-out to Luka and Giannis in that space. Lockdown defender of the week is coming from one team. <laughs> Ironically, he's coming from one team. Clay Thompson and Draymond Green have been putting in big time work on the defensive end, and they definitely have got the Warriors looking real formidable on the defensive end. Uh, Clay Thompson pulled down 14 rebounds in the cycle, two blocks, and eight steals. Draymond Green, who didn't even play in the second half of his first uh, second round game, pulled down 17 rebounds in this space, four blocks, and six steals. So, yeah, man, big time work, big time work, big time work. So, to Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, y'all get the awards for Breakout Player of the Week and Lockdown Defender of the Week. Now, I will say I'm not going to give out a big dummy of the week award this week, but I will caution it because it was going to go to Pete Carroll at first. Um uh, the more I thought about it before I did the podcast this week, I was uh, I was a little reluctant to give it to him because I think he did really well in his draft, but um, I still question the idea of him having a quarterback. Um, but uh, it might be a, a, a slow play of a plan. It really might. So, um, But I definitely think he needs to address the quarterback position. He hasn't, and I'm sorry. You know, the idea, uh, if you think as a coach in, this, in the NFL right now and uh, – you know, I've been a collegiate uh, player in a in a high school level coach, but I've I'm not an NFL guy. But I do know just by my eye test that you cannot win in this league anymore with just hard no defense in a run game. It's not going to happen. So uh, I would caution you to get yourself a quarterback even now or later or very soon in short order to not waste this roster and the and the things you've built um, in the draft and in the free agency in this cycle. So. I really still think you need a quarterback, but nonetheless, you know, hopefully you can uh, make some type of waves regardless of what you got rolling out a quarterback. But I don't think it's going to happen, you know, but I'm still I'm still optimistic that you may go out out and get Baker Mayfield who can be serviceable for you, serviceable for you for a year. And then you can get your quarterback next year. But it all depends on how things shake out in uh, trade and uh, the draft next year. But. 
I really think that you should do that, Pete. But that's just my advice. So, in the meantime, in between time, until next week, I'm your man, Coach Defense. Step up and lock it down.